as I speak to, to young Soms about their careers and, and what they're doing is I just I remind them that whilst it's really important to work for the right people who are going to give you the right opportunities, who are going to nurture your career and, and yes, make sure you have the work-life balance and so forth that everyone's chasing these days. But it's also really, really important to give back as much as you get. And you need to remember that there's not much profit in restaurants and keeping these places afloat is, is what we need to keep doing. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Many careers have been altered over the last year. Some lost work altogether. Others took an opportunity for change. And some took a chance on something familiar yet different, stepping left or right, but staying within the food industry. With talented professionals all over the country transforming their careers into something different, what impact will that have on the dining landscape? And is it an opportunity for many to make a bigger impact? Penny Grant is the Queensland Market Manager of Shaw & Smith. Penny, how are you going? Good, Huck. How are you doing? I'm good. You've uh, had a bit of a change in your career, though you didn't step away from the food industry. You're one of um, Australia's most awarded sommeliers. Um, but last year, you made a move away from uh, restaurants to a degree. Uh, do you want to tell us about that shift? Yeah, Um it was a definitely a hard decision. I think COVID definitely impacted my um, choices there. It was, you know, it was really, really hard to walk away from um, the company that Jake and myself had been working in, in for the last seven years. And obviously we we got approached to, to move up to Brisbane and help with the Ganem Group and open Blackbird, you know, in um, 2013. So I've been up here for a while doing some, you know, pretty fun things. And, you know, we have 11, we had 11 venues within the group um, at the time. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it was really amazing to be a part of. And yeah, obviously I spent the seven years being the, the group familiar and, and had some most amazing talented songs come and work with me. And, and, you know, it was, it was definitely not an easy choice to make. I think the biggest factor for me was becoming a mum and, um, you know, I think we all, we all go on and on and on about work-life balance and so forth. But when two of your group leaders, you know, Jake being the executive chef of the group and me being the group, some of the group, work in the same company, um, you both can't go to the same things. You know, you both can't go to those meetings. You both can't be on the floor at the same time, you know, and something's got to give. And, you know, I, I never really thought that the executive chef would, would be the one to give, you know, unfortunately. And, and obviously being a mum as well, I really wanted to be home with my daughter as much as I could. And it, you know, I hadn't been happy for a while. I felt a little bit like I was restricted being a parent in that company. I felt like certain opportunities were that were always, you know, there for me were, were going away. And um, I just, I just never really felt the same after coming back from maternity leave. And I think they knew I wasn't really happy, but there really wasn't much that we could do about it and um i obviously got approached by an amazing company that you know um is leaders in what they do to um to work with them and you know it definitely wasn't easy but it was a decision that jake and i you know talked long about and um it just it just felt right at the time and it did kind of happen around the same time as covid you know when when the Ganem group were you know obviously shutting shop and everyone was shutting up shop for for lockdown i put my hand up to leave 
and um, and I had the most amazing team that I knew that really needed that opportunity to move into into my role. You know, especially one person, um, one of my head soms, Marcel from from Blackbird, who was ready. You know, he'd been waiting in the wings for a long time, and it it really deserved to to move into that role. So I saw it as a as a win. You know, to excel him into the into the right job, and for me to you know step down really and concentrate on other things. Well, wine really is your specialty, and um, what was that transition like, though, to a role where you're communicating to the industry as opposed to communicating to consumers or creating something for consumers? Yeah, definitely hard. Like I, I suppose I've I've dealt with um, with reps my entire life, had amazing relationships with them. My mum's you know the state manager for Mezzanine Wine up here, so I'm I'm very you know, I've been around it a long time, but then putting your, you know, putting your shoes into the other side, really, you know, or stepping into the other side and having to be the one being out there is is something I think a lot of Soms either do want to do or just say they definitely don't want to do. I think the beauty about my role is it's not a sales role. It's more of a brand ambassador role and it's an education role, which is the reason why I took the job. It's more about helping people understand what we do. It's a real connection between the winery and um and the customer so it's it's we can't expect the reps to have the in-depth knowledge that that we have on our wines and we're there to really shine a light on it even even more so it's i get to spend that time one-on-one with you know my industry peers explaining all the ins and outs of what we do you know i just came back from working three weeks vintage as well with the winery team which was great getting my hands dirty and that's something i'm really interested in so it's keeping me in the industry but you know, Shore and Smith is an educational company. You know, we do workshops around around Australia, but also around the world. We spend so much money on education. There's there's two masters of wine within the company who mentor the next generation of MWs as well. So it was it was a easy decision for me because I knew that I would start getting educated again. You know, there's no one teaching us anymore as some sometimes when you get to a group level, and I really wanted to have. I really wanted to not be, I suppose it sounds a bit silly, but not be the smartest person in the room anymore. I wanted to be, I wanted to be educated again. I wanted to be put outside my comfort zone and, and, you know, learn more things. What's been some of the advantages or skills that you've brought over to the role from, from being a group som that have helped? I think knowing, you know, what they need is, 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 you know, when when we, you know, have new wines or when we're doing, you know, dinners or educational tastings or, those kinds of things, it's 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 knowing exactly what I would want as a SOM, you know. And the great thing about the company is that the other two people who are in my role in, you know, New South Wales and Victoria are also sommeliers who have transitioned. So we have an understanding of, you know, what wines are going to suit certain venues, you know, the food, the, the concept. I wouldn't walk into a, a certain restaurant with a certain wine because I knew it just wouldn't work. Um, I just I can I can tailor and I can understand what a venue might need I suppose better than better than most. Well, tailoring the wine to a venue is a really interesting topic, and you looked after as you mentioned eleven venues for the Gatton Group, all very different. Tell us about your role there and how you managed to create such different wine lists for the different venues. Yeah, I mean, we started off with Blackbird and we did have other venues at the time um, within the company, but I suppose Blackbird was my first wine list, you know, and I was completely shit scared coming as an assistant som that I was going to, you know, write a crappy wine list. My my mentor at the time, who was Lincoln Riley from Stokehouse, who, you know, I think I sent the wine list back and forth to him about 50 times and, you know, it's it, it's definitely, you know, scary, but... Um, 
I think we need to remember as sommeliers, and one thing that he always taught me is the wine, this is not about us. It's not a representation of us or what we want to drink. It's a representation of, first of all, you know, the food, the clientele that are going to come in there. And it also needs to be a profitable tool for a venue. You know, we can definitely write, anyone can write an amazing award-winning wine list and spend $200,000 and have $200,000 worth of stock on hand. But you're not there to do that. It's not part of the role. The part of the role is making money for a business. And that's something I've always been taught. So, you know, moving from, you know, Blackbird to, to, to Donna Chang to Biblos, which is, you know, just a quite a beautiful, simple, you know, Lebanese restaurant to, I'm sure Jake talked about it in, in his podcast as well, like Lord of the Wings, you know, you've got to, you've got to move, you know, shift and rotate and do all these kinds of things. So it's, it's great because you don't get stuck thinking, yep, I'm just going to write this stupidly big award-winning wine list that's going to win me lots of accolades and everyone will think I'm a wanker, but yep, I am a wanker. You know, it's, it's about balancing it out and actually knowing what your what each venue needs. And I loved that challenge and it was the best. The best operators know the value of a, of a great SOM, but the, the pandemic sort of put their role in doubt for a period of time when everyone switched to takeaway and no one knew what would emerge from it. Having been a SOM before that and then dealing with them afterwards, what, do you think the role has changed and will change moving forward? Oh, I think it's totally changed. I think we've seen, you know, the SOMs were, SOMs were a luxury item. I think, you know, you and I sit here understanding exactly what a great sommelier can bring to the table. But, you know, there's also a lot of companies that that is a luxury item. You're, you're pretty much just a dedicated wine person. And so many people just moved into supervisor or management roles and we lost sommeliers on the floor and we still lost sommeliers on the floor, especially up here in Brisbane. You know, we don't have grand wine teams of, you know, a head SOM and two assistant SOMs or a junior SOM. You know, I had eight eight SOMs in my team at the time. You know, I believe the Ganem Group now has one, you know, it's and that's, that's across 11 venues. So it's, it's hard to get people to come and work for you, first of all, um, and it's hard to get them to, to stay. And SOMs are just a, whilst they are a luxury item, they're also completely in demand now because there are none, because everyone's had to morph into different roles. People have moved, you know, Millie in her podcast talked about moving into the repping role as well, because it's just those opportunities get put in front of you, you know, you know, do all these kinds of things, but um, it just doesn't work because, you know, the SOM team is, is just null and void really after COVID. It was really difficult. You mentioned that your mum is the wine rep for Mezzanine and it sounds like wine has been in your family for a long time. Take us back to how you got interested in the hospitality industry. Yeah, you know, my mum's an interesting character. I mean, we grew up in country Victoria around, you know, the wine regions. My my dad's families, you know, owned vineyards. So we were, you know, doing slave labour of picking grapes from a very young age. And mum, you know, managed cellar doors at Brown Brothers back in the day as well. So we'd be we'd be there. But then when we moved to Brisbane, you know, and my parents separated, um, you know, my dad's a builder, but my mum, you know, my mum worked three jobs, you know, she worked breakfast shift, um, you know, lunch shift at the Brisbane club and then managed Vino's wine cellar at nighttime just to, you know, to get by. And, you know, she's always been in the hospitality industry and, and my sister and I, who are both in the industry now, um, you know, after school, we would be uh, you know, polishing cutlery, we'd be polishing wine bottles, we'd be, you know, um, making the kitchen coffees, 
Um, on the weekends, we, you know, dress up as waiters and hand around canapes at, you know, at functions and so forth. And, you know, obviously very much under the cuff, not, not legal age, but um, it was just around, surrounded by us. So it's been in our blood for a long time and, and our whole family is, is very wine and food focused, which, which I love. The alumni that have that came out of Circa the Prince in uh, in Melbourne is quite extraordinary, both back of house and front of house. And you uh, started as a junior som there. Can you take us back to to that time and what it was like? Yeah. Um, well, it, the funny thing was, I, I um, was working in Brisbane at the time, um, and Matthew Brook, who had been at Circa previously, was was up here working at Isis Brasserie horrible name now but back then it was it was great um he was my head som and I was obviously a junior under him up in here in Brisbane and he said to me it's you know you need to move to Melbourne if you need to if you want to you know go further in your wine career it's it's time um you know Liam O'Brien who is his best friend who was the head som there at the time working under Chris Crawford um had teed me up with a um a junior som role there so I was you know already ready to, to pack pack up and, and move. And I had been doing the um, – I was in the Young Waiter of the Year competition and the Young Chef of the Appetite for Excellence comp when um, Lisa Van Handel was obviously a judge as well. And, you know, it was great because I got to spend time with her knowing that I was coming down to, to work um, at Circa and Jake was working there at the time as the sous chef as well. So <laughs> obviously Jake and I met on the tour and um, – fell in love as you do, but I believe I was the third woman that he um, fell in love with on that trip anyway. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I was already planning to move to Melbourne um, at the time. So it all worked out really, really well. And um, yeah, got to work at Circa and it was the, the wines you see, the, the dinners, the, the club events with, you know, all the great wine minds of the world drinking some of the most spectacularly rare, spectacular, rare, um, unique, expensive wines that, you know, I was definitely a fish out of water, making silly comments, making um, making mistakes, you know, couldn't find specific wines and completely felt like I was out of my comfort zone. But, you know, it was great. I was working with a wine list of 1,800 wines that couldn't pronounce, let alone find. But it's throwing yourself in the deep end. is is It was amazing. Absolutely. You briefly mentioned the Appetite for Excellence uh, program, Young Waiter, Young Chef awards that you were part of and um, they go on a big tour around Australia. What was that like for a young professional to sort of be linked up with young professionals and sort of go and explore the produce and wineries of Australia? Yeah, it was amazing. I was 21 at the time. I think I was one of the youngest um, people in the competition and it was it was a very big, long trip and you were there, Huck. So <laughs> I was. You were there for most of it or some of it in South Australia <laughs> and um, we all got up to some 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 yeah trouble along the way, but you know we had a great time and it was it was for someone who was you know coming from Brisbane who hadn't really been around all of that food and wine scene before you know I I, I took it all in and you know the people who were on that trip were people that we are so close with still to this day you know I've got Leanne Altman you know group beverage person for um Andrew McConnell group you know Jimmy and Bianca from Stillwater and and just the most amazing industry professionals who got so much out of that competition. And it wasn't about winning. It was about the relationships that you built and those relationships are still really strong to this day. And yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that it's still going. 
there's often talk about the mentors and training for the back of house in hospitality. Um, t- tell us about the front of house and the challenges involved in um, for mentors and training and, and building that sort of career path for professionals. Yeah, I believe I was really lucky in this sense. You know, I, I was put in place. I was put to a lot of great mentors. You know, I had great mentors that kept moving me to my next great mentor. Um, the importance of mentors is I don't feel as important as it is as it was then that it is now. It's, you know, I, I hung every single bit of my career on them. You know, I had um, obviously m- Matt Brook, you know, Liam O'Brien, Chris Crawford, and then, you know, they moved me to my significant mentor, Lincoln Riley, who took me within th- you know, to three different venues with him as his assistant sommelier. You know, he, he gave up trips, you know, to Europe with, to see wine regions um, just because he thought it was a better opportunity for me to go as a, as a budding young sommelier. You know, he, he definitely made sure that every opportunity that he was given, he also passed to me as well. I, he wanted to make sure that everything in his role that he could do, that I could do as well. There was never a, you know, hiding of information or, um, you know, protecting his knowledge. It was, it was always um, really like an open book. And, you know, those kind of um, relationships that I had is something that I tried to continue here up in Queensland and I and I still get to continue that in this role now, which is talking to young familiars and helping putting them in the right path for the right job, um, hopefully, you know, continuing their education, um, being a being a real, you know, open ear for them, you know, if it comes to wine list awards or if it comes to, you know, getting what they want out of a job um, or education in general, it's something that I can continue now. But Without great mentors, um, I believe, you know, we've got a massive problem in the industry up here now with, you know, SOMs moving around, being offered different jobs, you know, not lasting any more than six months in a a job. I understand we're also trying to get, you know, that work-life balance as well. I just don't know if we're seeing the same kind of passion come out of the industry now, you know, with with people wanting to work as hard as they can. I'm not talking about working 80 hours a week. I'm just talking about, you know, making sure you're immersed around the right people, asking the right questions, making yourself vulnerable, pushing yourself harder than you ever have gone before. Uh, Is that happening now? You know, I don't think so. And it's really upsetting because, you know, I know what a great mentor can do and, um, yeah, I hope it changes. You mentioned some of the wine experiences that you've had abroad and in Australia. Can you tell us about some that have been really pivotal uh, for you and your career? Yeah, I think putting yourself in in wine shows for me has been my biggest thing. Um, It's been making me uh, get out there amongst the industry, amongst my peers and learning from, you know, amazing winemakers to sommeliers to distributors and so forth and, and having, you know, being part of, you know, different kinds of wine shows around Australia has has made me have those connections with those people and I suppose has gotten me as well to where I am today. You know, I, I feel like I, I I take from them what, what I can. Um, it's like a new level of mentoring for me, really. You worked with Taxi Dining Room and Stokehouse and St Kilda and, and also Maze by Gordon Ramsay, who's arguably the most well-known food identity on the planet. It was a short-lived restaurant, but what was it like being part of the build-up and the creation of, of Maze? Yeah, I think we only lasted about six months before it all kind of turned um, 
funny. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Lincoln and I were at Taxi at the time and um, he was given the opportunity to be head som at Maze and obviously took me over with him. It was amazing because it was a different level of dining that I hadn't experienced. Obviously Circa had, you know, degustation focus and so forth, but Taxi was obviously more that Japanese fusion kind of style. So this level of training and, and the systems and procedures and, the kitchen, the, you know, the kitchen at Mays was just amazing, you know, working with people who had obviously come over from London that I hadn't been exposed to before and, and you know, just the Michelin level of the way they were doing everything, you know, setting up the wine program with Link as well and, you know, every night was amazing. There was never a there was never the same wine match. It was, all right, let's go into the cellar and let's decide what we're going to match with the food tonight. What are we going to open tonight? You know, what do we think would work with it and it would get our minds thinking of all right well we've got these dishes these dishes you know what do we think yep let's taste that let's open that yep that'll be perfect and we got to tailor make these experiences because that restaurant as well was was a create your own degustation rent venue you know the menu was as long as it was you know very very long and you could pick and choose all your courses to create your own degustation so we had to work on the fly as well with our wine pairings and you know, make sure that they balance themselves out because there could be people who go, yep, I just want all the, the light dishes or I just want all the heavy dishes or, you know, so we had to, you know, remind them about balance in, in the menu and making sure that they have that perfect balance. Um, but it was great. It just made made everything, I suppose, really fun. It was really good. You and Jake have done incredible things uh, up in Queensland for the Gatton Group. What- What's been the challenges involved in working with your partner when he's the executive chef and you're the sort of head of wine? Has there been times when it's been difficult to sort of pull it together? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think it was actually a really good thing because, you know, if the front of house were, you know, not that Jake's a scary person because we all know he's an absolute larrikin and a a joker and the loudest person you've ever met in your life. Um, But, you know, it was good because... At a front of house perspective, if they didn't want to approach Jake about something or if, you know, there was a, a, a you know, a little situation in the kitchen or, you know, something was sent back or, you know, <laughs> he wasn't going to talk back to me, I suppose. So I could just go up there and say, yeah, he asked for it medium rare. It's not medium rare. So just cook it medium rare. Do it now. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that, was, that was good. But, you know, the best thing about us working together was I knew Jake's food, you know, back the front. Um I made sure that the, the, the wine, uh, you know, was always a representation of what he did in the kitchen. And it's it was great to know exactly how his flavours worked. And we fed off each other really, really well. I suppose him and I were, were the face of the company. And, um, and it was great because you know, whilst I was out there, you know, winning some awards for wine and so forth, he was he was back there making sure that, you know, you know, saying how proud he was of me and, and, um, you know, how how well the business was doing as well. It was just, yeah, it was a really great time in our life. You, you were feeling the need for change a little over a year ago and, and obviously parenthood drove that as well and, and the yearning for life-work balance. How, how have you changed as a result of these changes? Yeah, I think the biggest challenges I'm, I'm finding in my job right now is and something I bring up with um, the people I work with all the time is I just don't feel busy enough. And it's um, it's because as a hospitality professional, you, you're very much used to not not juggle, well, juggling 
the back of house work and the front of house work and not really having a time for the back of house work because you needed to be on the floor or, you know, doing other things. So something's got to give and it's usually your emails and it's usually, you know, all that time. So going from going to nine to five now and having time to plan and execute things and having long-winded meetings, you know, talking about in-depth things about, you know, the new current release or vintages and, and what we're going to do. And it's, it's a very different world for me and something I'm still navigating. I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm busy unless I've got a million things on the go and I'm trying to, you know, tick them all off. It feels like I don't want to lose my work ethic because my, I've always had a strong work ethic to, to work hard and to make sure I'm doing the right thing for the company. But um, it's something that I've, that, that they, that they laugh at. And they just say, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you don't need to be working a million miles an hour. We want you to, you know, more, take more time and, and, you know, make sure you're doing everything to the full capacity that you think you can do it. As, as your family grows and in the future, do you see yourself stepping back into a group SOM role at all? You know, I, I don't think so. I think, I think I'll always find the challenges of not being able to give myself fully to, to the floor and to, and to that, um, you know, I love what I do now and, you know, Jake and I have another baby on the way now as well. So the company's, you know, so the, the world's just going to get even busier for us. And, um, you know, I, I love the fact that I'm part of a winery because it's the next step for me. I want to learn more about winemaking. I want to get my hands dirty in, in that respect. And, you know, I don't probably see myself moving back into the restaurant world. I'm still feeling like I get the same enjoyment that I was getting but in a different role now. Someone that's so versed in wine and wine lists and it would take a long time to rattle off all of the awards that you've won. How do you um, create the best wine experience? What, what's, what's important from your perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, I, I spoke about making sure that there's a, there's a balanced, you know, wine list in any venue, but, you know, at the times I, I suppose I took a lot of my time making sure that the food was was uh, that I knew exactly the ins and outs of, of all the food. Um, but tailoring a wine to, to each person was something that we did every day, you know, at Blackbird and at Donna Chang, and and something that you know Lincoln had always has always taught me as well is you don't have to sell the most expensive bottle of wine for it to be the right bottle to the person, you know. We know that there's amazing bottles of wine at 40 to $50 all the way up to thousands of dollars, but it's the right wine for the right person and for the right experience. And you get the same amount of enjoyment, you know, nailing a bottle of wine to a person and to, a, and to a, an experience that you do against, you know, opening up some of the rarest wines in the world that, you know, you don't get to see very often because you know that that person has come away thinking, wow, that just, you just hit the nail on the head. They might've wanted to spend $200 upwards or whatever, but that you found something at 75 that did the job and it, it didn't need to go any further than that. And I suppose gaining those people's trust is something I love to do because then they'd come back. There's a, a lot of young professionals that may sort of be uh, disillusioned over the last year. And as he said, this, the role of the SOM is kind of in doubt in some instances as well. What sort of advice would you give to young front of house professionals to forge a career in hospitality? Yeah, this is something I think about all the time. And as I speak to, to young SOMs 
about their careers and, and what they're doing is I just I remind them that whilst it's really important to work for the right people who are going to give you the right opportunities, who are going to nurture your career and, and yes, make sure you have the work-life balance and so forth that everyone's chasing these days, but it's also really, really important to give back as much as you get. You know, an employee, an employer, you know, it takes two years for an employer to get the return they've got on recruiting, selecting and training you. You know, we learned that through our Eldred Hospitality days in Victoria. We know how much it costs to hire somebody, to train that person, for them to move after six months, even after they've been given exactly what they wanted. You got given the salary that you wanted. You got given the hours that you wanted. But the next hottest restaurant has come along and they've tried to poach you and you've said yes. You know, I just, it, that kind of stuff doesn't make me very happy. It makes me remember that it's really hard to be a restaurant owner and some, one of the reasons why Jake and I have never opened a restaurant, the people management is incredibly hard these days. And I think you just need to remember that if you're going to take as much as you want to take, you need to give back as much as you can. And you need to remember that there's not much profit in restaurants and keeping these places afloat is, is what we need to keep doing. Well, Penny, we're very honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today and congratulations on uh, the child that's on the way soon. Uh, another life-changing experience. Uh, um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Will do. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.